It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please, won't you be? Welcome to a very special edition of the Monday Morning Critic. Today we have a very special guest, one that I'm sure all of you know. His name is David Newell. You know him better as Mr. McFeely in Speedy Delivery. David, I'm so happy to have you on today. Well, speedy delivery, Derek. I'm glad to uh, meet you at least via the telephone. <laughs> that's, that's right. And um, so there's there's so much I wanted to talk to you about. You know, we have the 50th anniversary coming up. Um, I know uh-huh. you were. In, I want to talk a little bit about you before we get into the wonderfulness of of the neighborhood. Um, so okay. you were you were a prop guy when you started, and then what yeah. happens to t- from there? Okay, well, how I got involved in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, I'll try to make this uh, speedy. But uh, (laughs) in in 1967, I was in London visiting my cousin who lived there and was working there, and I was there. And my background is in theater. I worked at the Pittsburgh Playhouse and Children's Theater. The Playhouse is, Pittsburgh Playhouse is well known in uh, community theater circles. And I was working there too, but I went for the summer to, to Europe. And to make a long story short, I got a telegram from a mutual friend of Fred Rogers and myself. And he said in the telegram, this is before computers and cell phones, that Fred Rogers has gotten some underwriting from Sears Roebuck Foundation and the program will go national. Well, he said, and I've made an appointment with you. This is all in a telegram. When you get back to Pittsburgh, you're to meet Fred Rogers on a certain date, which I did. And we met for about an hour, and Fred told me about his concept. I knew the neighborhood because it was regional, but not national at this point. And so I knew a little bit about the program, but not everything. And I was hired to do uh, the props and costumes and coordinate everything and make sure everything was in its place. And before I left, he said, oh, 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 and I also want you to do, uh, I'm writing in a part of a delivery man, and I'd like you to play that too. Um, and I said, fine, and he hired me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I thought, well, okay, that's great. I've got a job for a year, and here I am talking to you 50 years late. <laughs> and it's been a wonderful, wonderful time. I enjoyed every moment of it, and I'm still working with the Fred Rogers Company, helping promote the 50th anniversary and talking to you, promoting the anniversary. And that's a little, that's a, a, an abbreviated version of how I got involved in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Wow. And, and talk a little bit about the Fred Rogers Company. What What is that for people that might not know? How would you describe it best? Well, the Fred Rogers Company is a production company. We produce uh, 
Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood now, which is on public television around the country and in Canada. Mm-hmm. And it's just been picked up, well, maybe a couple years ago, rather than just picked up. It's, it's in about 25 countries around the, around the world. Daniel Tiger's neighborhood, and for your listeners, that's sort of a the extension of Fred Rogers' legacy. It's animated, and it has the, some of the same characters. The neighborhood trolleys there, the neighborhood of Make Believe King Friday, but everything's animated. That's one program we do. Then we do another program called Peg P E G plus Cat. That's an acquired program about math for young children. And then we have another program for older children with math plus some online uh, programming, and we're expanding um, Fred Rogers' legacy. So that's what the Fred Rogers Company does, and if any of your listeners uh, want to see what's going on, they can just go online, find the Fred Rogers Company, and, and see what we're up to. Yeah, and, it's, and that's the Fred Rogers Company. Yeah, and that's amazing. When I look at your life on the show from 68 to 2001, you were in almost... 450 episodes. That is mind-blowing, David. I, I can't get my head around that. Well, yeah, it, it seems uh, in those days, once they were wonderful. They were wonderful doing, and Fred Rogers was wonderful to work with, and I learned so much. It wasn't just a job. You know, for your listeners, anybody who's thinking of going into television or any profession for that matter, you know, there's this old saying that I think worked for me. Uh, when you're choosing a career, make sure it's something you love because you'll never work a day in your life. Mm. You've probably heard that before. Yeah. You know, that's I didn't make it up, but uh, I think that's what happened to me. I never felt I ever worked a day in my life. I loved working with the program. We felt, at least I felt, we were doing uh, a service for families with young children by providing positive programming, programming that they could educate and uh, relate to that age group, the preschooler and early elementary. And all this positive role modeling, too, that Fred Rogers did. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience, and I'm still doing it in different ways. You know, the program uh, is still available. It's right now, by the way, there's a, 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 I guess it's an online channel, so to speak, called Twitch TV, T-W-I-T-C-H TV, and they're showing the entire library of programs in a 24-hour marathon, 24 hours a day marathon, Mm -hmm. which will probably run through another week or so. That's one way. And then Amazon.com has Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and PBSKids.org has them. So it's still available. And some public stations show it uh, on the weekends. So the neighborhood is still with us 50 years later. It certainly is. It certainly is. And, you know, I wish I had cool people that would come by my house and visit me like Fred Rogers had because... I was so jealous, David, that he had all these cool friends that would stop by. And, you know, one of the things that I told Francois was, you know, they call it a make-believe, you know, the the, the land of make-believe, so to speak. You know, and it really the, the joke is it's really not make-believe because everything you guys taught us was about life. Like, in my, in my opinion, it was I learned more from Mr. Rogers you know, in truth, and I did anything in make believe, and that's the that's the ironic part about it. I think am I am I kind of right with that? Oh, you are, you are. I think that was Fred Rogers' uh, 
aim, his mission, you know, he split the program up into, and maybe you, maybe you never thought of it this way, but the opening and closing of the program where he was on camera talking to the camera and the child at home, that was to be the reality part of life. Mm. And he separated fantasy and reality for children and the neighborhood of make-believe where the puppets are, that was pretend. Anything can happen there. So it was almost like, uh, I likened Fred's program to a to, to a symphony in a way. You know, he would state the theme at the beginning of the program and explain what we're going to do and show something and talk about something. Then in the neighborhood of make-believe, let's pretend to go to the neighborhood of make and things would be worked out there. That's like a, a symphony in a way because they'd play on a theme. And then they'd come back and, and wrap up in, uh, he would wrap up the, the reality, in the reality segment so you can see that it was very well thought out and nothing was ever left a chance, everything was geared to that young child to understand child development and he would talk about so many different subjects over the years and I think that's how you uh, you, you, pick, you learn so much about watching, you know there is a, a Quaker saying, and I think this sums up how Fred used television. Um, there's a Quaker saying is that attitudes are caught, not taught. If you love doing something in front of children that you love, they'll catch your attitude. And that's how what Fred did. I think children and you, you, all, you just said what Fred intended to happen, you you caught that learning, you caught those attitudes, not maybe realizing it at the time, but you did, and that was Fred's that was Fred's uh, way of teaching. Not everybody's, but Fred's way. Does yeah. that make sense to you? Yeah, and he's a he's a you are you both and everybody involved were just beautiful human beings that millions of people owe you a debt of gratitude that will probably never be paid. But what is the one thing you hear a lot from people when they know who you are and they see you? Because when I told people you were going to be on the show, my friends or listeners, they had a smile they had a smile from ear to ear. And I think that's because of of what you did for them and, and how they remember you. And like they've never met you. But for me to say a name and for people to smile ear to ear and have such a good feeling about someone speaks a lot about you, David. Well thank you. I and maybe they caught that attitude because I loved doing what I was doing. I loved uh, being a part of a, I guess you could call it a wheel, a spoke in that wheel. Fred was sort of the center hub and we all worked into that hub in a way. Mm. You know, Francois had his music and I had the deliveries and, and Betty uh, worked with Daniel and Joe Negri had his music. We were all a spoke in that, uh, in that wheel. And um, I really looked forward to going to work and I I felt the scripts that we had were well thought through and and Fred would uh, he had background you just you just don't turn the TV camera on and start talking you know it, it, he studied child development um, and so the scripts were designed for that age group for preschoolers who were early elementary and you and that's a much different um teaching um, procedure, I guess you would say, than an than a older child. You know, they don't understand separating, a, a, a three-year-old doesn't separate the scary things 
and see them as pretend from the reality thing. Right, That's right. why he separated uh, reality and, uh, and make-believe. He was very deliberate in everything he did on television because he knew his audience and he knew the what a preschooler would could could uh, understand. Yeah. Uh, and I think I think if people are going into children's television, they should know something about children. Study the child development, you know. Um, and Fred did. Yeah, and he met, so, and I think I read this, David, where he met with a child psychologist every Tuesday to discuss yes. the, to discuss the issues of you know today what's going on and the best way to present that to children, which blows my mind. Like how how much he truly was devoted and. To, to kids, it's just unbelievable. No, it's and it was not an act. It was no. You're right. It was he met with a, a woman whose name was Dr. Margaret McFarland, and she taught in the child development department of the University of Pittsburgh for years. Mm. In fact, her whole career. And in fact, in the early days when Fred was doing his work through her at the University of Pittsburgh, this is after he graduated from college in uh, Florida with a degree in music. He went to the University of Pittsburgh and studied with her and. The early days, the two people that were his teachers for a, they were there for a two-year period were Doctor Spock and Eric Erickson, uh, who are Eric Erickson was a psychology uh, professor and doctor who wrote every book you probably ever had in college when you took Psych One, mm. <laughs> and and Doctor Spock, of course, was the the, the broke. Dr. Benjamin Spock wrote the books on child care. Sure. And, and they worked at Pittsburgh, uh, University of Pittsburgh, and Fred had them uh, for some teachers. But Dr. McFarlane was his mentor, and she, they met every Tuesday and sometime, maybe a second time, if he had other questions. And she was an expert on children's play. And you, you can learn a lot about a child if you just observe children as they play. See what they're playing out. They may be playing out something that's bothering them. They may not speak it or tell, tell people about it, but they may play it out. And observation is what Fred did to, and learned that way too. And seeing how children are interacting with each other and what might be bothering them or if they're, you can, so much, but it's not. You, it's got to be on a continual basis. You just don't take one class and you're a child development expert. You know, it, it's a lifetime, really. Yeah, uh, and he did. Yeah, that's well Fred said. Spent. That's well said. And one of the things you mentioned was, you know, I think those of us that spent time trying to understand, you know, Fred and, and those obviously people like you that worked with him, we knew you. He was the real deal. But you know, I was watching an appearance he had on the David Letterman show. And I don't think the audience knew how to take him. I didn't think they knew. I didn't think they understood he what they saw on TV is what the guy was. I, I think they might have thought it was maybe this was the character he was playing, but it wasn't. And, and he told this wonderful story. And this is how I knew that this was no act. There was some there was some DJ, I want to say, in the in the South that was in, in Fred's voice, you know, uh, imitating Fred saying, Oh, you know, okay, boys and girls, I want you to take this lighter and then take a hairspray. And this is Fred telling the story to Dave Letterman. Yeah. And he was yeah. really, he was really upset that there was a a DJ telling kids to put themselves in danger with his hairspray and this in these lighters. He was telling the story about this guy, you know, imitating him. And 
you could see on Fred's face he was not pleased. He was not happy with that. No, no, I remember I was there when they they uh, taped that segment, and that did actually happen. But, you know, the, the DJ was doing it because it wasn't a... a, a, a he was... Uh, every morning disc jockey has done a Mr. Rogers takeoff. Sure. <laughs> and he, he, it was a comedy bit for him. He, he was using it because it, you know, it was a terrible way to use it, but... I don't think deep down that that DJ even thought it through. He thought it was a funny comedy right, bit. Yeah, yeah. But kids who could hear that inadvertently, and some kids do hear what their parents are listening to, could have done that. And it is very dangerous. And it's not respectful either. But, you know, I guess if you're a comedian and you don't think it through, I don't think truly he was thinking the comedian thought it all through but yes it did make Fred upset on the other hand when uh, you probably have seen the Eddie Murphy Mr. Robinson <laughs> yes, <take off>. yes. <laughs> well, well in a way they may have been raunchy a little but Fred thought they were sort of an affectionate spoof they weren't mean spirited they may have been a little raunchy and a little taking advantage of the situation for being a comedian but we met Eddie. Uh, what well, I don't know if I ever you read that or not. Did yeah. you ever read that story about how we met Eddie Murphy? Well, I know that I know that Fred met him. I didn't know how you guys. I didn't know the details behind it because Fred pulled out a well, picture when he was on Letterman, but I didn't know the details behind it. Yeah, he was on Letterman. In between the it wasn't that Letterman. It was another Letterman visit. But we were at NBC at that point. It's when Letterman was had his show there, and they were. It was a Friday, and they were taping or rehearsing Saturday Night Live in the studio two floors above. And one of the floor managers, we were on a break waiting for the taping. The floor manager said, "While you're waiting, you should take Fred Rogers upstairs and 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 surprise Eddie Murphy. <laughs> They're rehearsing now." So. Fred said, okay, and we went up and knocked on Eddie's dressing room door. They were on a break, and he opened it, and it really was the last person I think he expected <laughs> to see. And he sort of backed up, and then he gave Fred a big hug and said, the real Mr. Robinson, that's what they called it, Mr. Robinson's neighborhood. Oh. And and somebody took a picture of the two of them together, and I have it. It was a Polaroid picture, and I and I have it. Uh, that one and only picture of the two of them together. And then they wanted Fred to come on and surprise Eddie sometime during one of those segments, but it never did happen. But it would have worked. But I think Fred was Fred. You know, Fred wasn't. Uh, a performer in that sense. He didn't have shtick that he could do. He was really, he saw himself as a communicator uh, and, and not a performer. That's, he never liked performing because he didn't feel like himself. You know, right, that, right. when you're a performer, you're an actor. There's nothing wrong with that, but that just, that's not who Fred was. No, not at all. Uh, and, yeah, and, and he and is. He, he, he was himself, and his wife would always say when people ask her, well, what you see is what you get. And you're right about the initial one you are talking about, the Letterman. I don't think that people understood. Plus, he's on a comedy show, and people expect comedians or funny stories all the time. Right. And Fred had stories, but they weren't. he didn't have funny stories. It wasn't a series of jokes. 
and uh, and but over the years, as he did on did more shows like that, I think people became to became to realize that he, that's who he is, and he is serious about what he's doing. Yes. one of the best was with Joan Rivers, and when she did the Tonight Show, they were wonderful segments. Oh, I and love that. Was, yes, yes, I know what you're talking. She got him. She, she understood. Yep, yep, she did. She got, and she, and she was wearing she was wearing one of the sweaters that uh, Fred's mother made for him. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and they both and they both had a sweater, and but she got him. And uh, uh, then as the years went on, and that was my job too over the years. I I started as props and costumes, but then I moved into doing the PR and uh, reacting to the PR requests and going out with him when he would do an interview or something. Sort of um, was his uh, front man, I guess you could say. But I continued to do McFeely also uh, over the years, so. But my jobs changed from production to more public relations, as well as doing McFeely. So I've seen, I saw a lot of um, um, people understanding better as we as we moved on through the years. And I think, though, in a way, when you're on a show like the Tonight Show or a, a Today Show or something like that, you sort of become accepted by people that okay they were on the tonight show or the day show they must be okay they must know what they're doing you know but you know that was not fred's purpose of going on there he wanted to go on to talk about what he does uh for children's for television yeah and and and, you know you bring up so many good points and you know, I was telling Francois this. I, I stumbled upon this wonderful trailer called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And I, I, ha- I told Francois this with much more, many more tears. When I was done watching that, David, I had to put my iPad down. I just, all this emotion from all the effect you guys have had on me and other kids. And I had to just, I needed 10 minutes to myself to dry my eyes and, to get uh, to get less emotion less emotional. Well, well, it, 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 if your listeners want to know what you're referring to, that was the trailer for the new theatrical documentary that's coming out. Mm. Won't you, it's called "Won't You Be My Neighbor"? You knew that, right? Yes. You know that's the, and that'll be coming out. It's out now, but it's in festivals. But June eighth, I'm told that it'll go to theaters, and it's different from the documentary that was just recently shown on PBS. That was called "It's You I Like," mm. and that was a different take. This one is more to do with Fred's life and how he got into the neighborhood and some uh, opinions from other people and his wife is interviewed and I'm interviewed on it and and Francois is too and some of the other neighbors plus plus friends and associates and it's got a a, it's gotten some good reviews so I hope your listeners look out for it yeah i thought the trailer was very very powerful and um i loved it and you know as 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 much as i love fred it's you guys deserve as much credit because you know i'm now in you know in my upper 40s you know i i i you know i i must think about you guys once a week you know just lessons i've learned and i'm just you and and the whole cast and fred and I don't know the and I say this without trying to sound too repetitive. The impact that you the, the impact that you've had on lives, it cannot be stressed enough what you have done for children. It, it just it's well, well, that's 
good to hear because, you know, sometimes when you're making a television program, we had no audience, uh, you think it feels like you're doing a program for four walls. Yeah. You know, you know, you know, you're not. But sometimes you don't get the immediate feedback, and, it's, and we're getting feedback when you think of from you some thirty years later. Right. <laughs> it, but that's what—that's the power of television, and look what it can do. And that's why Fred got into it. He, when he was uh, in college, he said, and I wasn't working there then, of course, and he said he was home for uh, a. Spring break, I think. And he saw what was going on in television for children. This was probably during the 50s. And it was people throwing pies at each other. You know, they were stri- they were splicing together a lot of slapstick comedies. And a host would host them. And that was children's entertainment. Now, there's nothing wrong with slapstick and, and, and comedy like that. But not as a steady diet for children. So Fred said we could do better. And he was going to go into the seminary, but he went instead into television and went to NBC in New York City and worked there for about two years after college. And then he heard about this new thing called public television starting in Pittsburgh. And he said, I want to work for that. I want to work for public television. And it was the first one in the country. It's called WQED in Pittsburgh. And that was the first one on the air, community supported. There was one earlier in Houston, but that was supported by that university. But this is the first community supported station. And Fred started the first children's program called the Children's Corner. And what you grew up with in this, the neighborhood came from that. And now, in turn, Daniel Tiger came from the neighborhood. So his legacy is growing, and now it's around the world. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and Twitch, by the way, that Twitch television, you can see in other countries, because I had a, a friend in um, Sweden and somebody in New Zealand who are watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Wow. <laughs> Wow! So uh, on Twitch, yeah, yeah, and, and so it, it's grow. We're 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 growing, and that's wonderful because it's. And I I wanted to get some feedback from our friends in New Zealand and Sweden to see how the neighborhood uh, goes over in that country. And now New Zealand, they, they it'd be better because they can. It's in English, and I I think uh, only if in. Sweden can English speaking people understand it, but nevertheless, it's there. So it's the legacy is going on. <laughs> you know, yeah, and, and you speak about legacy, and you know, when I if I flip through the channels and I see a kid show on today, David, I see kids of all colors, I see kids of all backgrounds, all races, and I'm going to tell you right now, that's a big part because of what happened in the neighborhood. That's a big part of why we see that today. Well, that's good. I, I hope you're right. You know, you never know where it all comes from. But, but Fred was deliberate in showing variety and variety in jobs, variety in people, variety in languages, likes and dislikes. He was very conscious. You know, I don't know if you've heard this, but he would feed the fish every uh, every other day, or that's oh, not not only represented for children taking care of things, mm. you know, but also he would say, now let's go feed the fish. 
and he would say, oh, here, fish, or something. And you know why he did that? Because there was somebody who wrote in, uh, uh, who a parent, I guess, wrote in, and the, uh, the, the, girl, the little girl was blind, mm. and she would watch the program and hear it, but of course couldn't see it. So he remembered that letter, and when he fed the fish from that point on, he said, now let's feed the fish. Mm. So she would know what he's doing. He's that was that careful in how he planned television, very down to the uh, something as subtle as that. That but, is that is amazing. Like, just to hear that, like I, there's so much we don't, and this is why I'm dying to see this. Like there's, we, we we finally get a glimpse of how we know he's a beautiful man. He's got a beautiful soul. Now we start to see, you know, that this was really who he was and you know he's almost like a legend because we were growing up as kids we we're like yeah there was like rumors he was a navy seal who was this big wo-. like nobody knew about who he was you know and now no, we really find no, out he's you're this right. yes you're right and it was just to clear it up he was never a navy no seal. no there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with being a navy seal of course but he was never one no no and i think that just came as a as a joke uh you know somebody made a joke about it and but he was never a navy seal and he never had tattoos none of that and somebody made it up again a joke like uh the the lighter and the hairspray you know and then it sticks you know but but he was his own person he had a backbone of steel a very brave man and and very dedicated and you're right you mentioned it earlier he was really concerned about children it was a true concern i remember one time he got an award in new york city this was there were three awards one was a children's book author and there's another one was a man who works with uh, homeless and 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 feeding the people who were uh, hungry a hunger association and the man spoke first who was talking about the hunger in the world, the need to get food out, etc. And Fred was next. And he got up and he started to talk and he started to cry because of what the man said about children who go hungry. And, you know, we've got to do something about the, the, the getting food. You know, I've heard that, and the man said, we can get food to people, it's that we don't. Mm. We need to be able to figure that out. And, uh, you know, I have no answer for that, but that upset Fred. And, and he, he, got, he composed himself and then started to talk, but it really, it really upset him. It really, and the man who told about the, the hunger of the, the people we're going through was very, very, very sincere too. And Fred picked up on that. Yeah. At any rate, that's the kind of a, a person he was. It wasn't, uh, you know, you just don't do, you don't make that up. It's, he's, he was his own person and he did what he thought was right and helpful for children and their families. Yeah, and you, and you mentioned, David, the, you got you just got me thinking. I was watching a clip. It was it was Fred's last, not his last words, but his last on-camera, I believe, one of his last. And he was honored with an Emmy, a Lifetime Achievement Award. Oh, yes. Yeah, and most people in this circumstance would have been about themselves. Oh, it's all about, you know, me and, you know, my life and that. What he did was he told the people, people, the actors in the crowd were like, 
The tears were rolling. You could see the tissues. And he said, I want you all to take 10 seconds to think about the people that have impacted your lives. So here's a guy getting a Lifetime Achievement Award and then points the finger and says, you, it's about you guys. You think about who affected your lives. And it's just, it speaks up until the last, his last words on camera, it speaks volumes about the man. Oh, yes. And he, he when he did a speech in the last, uh, well, the last maybe five years or so, he included that in his speeches. But that was the one, uh, the one that you saw, and you're referring to the 10 seconds. And they were on television at that time. It's usually take a minute. Mm. And think about the people who impacted your life and and where they are and how they helped you. Uh, he turned it around, and that it was very effective. I've seen him do it in a stadium of ten thousand people. He got an honorary degree, a lot of honorary degrees, and he spoke at the commencement exercises. Wow. And he said, "Let's take a minute." To the graduates, you know, you know how ten thousand people in a stadium, especially college kids, could be. Sure. You could hear a pin drop. It was outside at a football stadium commencement exercises, and it really was effective. And I think all of those things, as the years went on, people finally started to understand uh, what he was doing with television. And that it wasn't an act. That's who he was. And, uh, you know, some some children are very active, and maybe they didn't have the patience to sit and watch the neighborhood. But Fred always would say, let's, let's assume, you know, who's to say that children don't have a longer attention span? Let's, let's, uh, let's sort of, uh, 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 what's the word he used? Let's challenge their attention span. Let's let's do something that goes on maybe for five, eight minutes and challenge that attention span. He would use television in a very different way. I think he was a pioneer. In fact, I know he's a pioneer. And I learned so much, so much. Uh, uh, it was just an honor to be associated with and still is. I'm still... I'm still delivering in the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> and I was in and, and I was in the post office yesterday or two days ago, David, and I bought I was sending out a package and I see these beautiful stamps. And I'm like, uh-huh. my goodness, Mr. Rock, he looks phenomenal. And the and the and the postman and I or the, the, the guy that was working behind the counter, we started talking and he's like, These th- we can't keep these stamps in, they sell out. He goes, You know you know you know that he was he had tattoos all over him. That's why he wore the sweater. I'm like, stop spreading rumors because I'm talking to Mr. McFeely on Friday. He's not gonna be pleased with the way you're talking about Mr. Rogers. So we were joking back and forth, but it was but the the stamps I guess are supposedly flying off the shelves. That's that screams about his popularity. Yeah, we just had last Friday, a week from t- today, there was a dedication of unveiling of the stamp at the WQED studios in Mr. In Fred Rogers' studio, it's now called, where we made our programs. And we had a, a, a sold-out house. It was, it was all free, but you couldn't get more. And the postmaster came from D.C., and some of the neighbors were there, and Joe Negri played... Uh, uh, Charles Bangle banner on his guitar, and we unveiled the stamp. And the next day, I went to the Penn State University, Belfont, Pennsylvania, where they have, and I never knew about this place, it's called the American Philatelic 
society. That's the collectors of stamps, and they inducted the stamp into the the society. The and I met with people all day. Five hundred people showed up, and and it just shows the power of television and what Fred has meant to. Uh, families and people came for, oh there was a family who drove from Boston wow. <laughs> down to uh, Belafonte, Pennsylvania which is a good 10 hour drive somebody from West Virginia and Kentucky wow. all collectors but families from around the area anyhow your listeners can get the Mr. Rogers stamp as well as some envelopes I think with the trolley on at their local post office if they if they hurry <laughs> how, how, they are selling, uh, selling David, out David how often do you think about Fred oh um, almost every day and some there's so much I'm sitting here in in my office at home and I have the walls are covered with a lot of things that I enjoy like films and but I have a picture of I'm looking at it right now of Fred and me uh, that was taken from from the Pittsburgh magazine it said one last time it's when we taped our last program and the local magazine did a cover story on it mm. and then there's a there's a picture of my grandkids and there's a picture of my son when he was about oh i'd say oh five years old when we did a segment at an art gallery an art museum rather and i have that picture it's a picture of fred and my son so all these memories uh, that that i have and i have notes from him and i even have a little note up here on my uh, bulletin board that he wrote to me one time and i put that up so it's it's been a because uh, he's a, a friend too he would he and his wife would come to our house every so often and have dinner and and i traveled with him most of the time when we went out on appearances and i would write interference and so it, it was a wonderful wonderful and I miss those days, and it's 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 hard. But we know we're working on the legacy now. Sure, and, and and you know, I was watching before I called you. I was watching the episode of one four three, and my God, I just not that I forgot, but I just remembered how beautiful this show is. It's just so it's it's an innocence that has never gone away, and that has withstood the test of time. You're right. You're right. And you know, there was a. Uh, one I remember. One reporter asked Fred. Uh, he was interviewing him for a newspaper in, in person, and he said uh, one of his questions was, oh, "Well, what qualifies you to be a children's host and writer, etc.?" And Fred said, "Being a child. You know, if you if you can remember your childhood and what you." went through as a child all the joys and the and the sorrows and the teasing and the bullying and all of that that people go through being a child and he took a lot of that that in his childhood the good parts and the bad parts and put them into a a, a program that helped children and along with the ex, his expertise in child development in music in theology you know our program wasn't a religious program but Fred had a theology background and it was values that he incorporated into the program so all of that was that, that came out of who he was and it, it worked and then all of us the spoke so to speak 
we all had our own input into the program. And, and for instance, I oh, there's a lot of for instances. I love to go to flea markets, as me, David Newell. And he knew that. So he wrote into one of the programs that Mr. McFeely would go to the flea market. I went to a real flea market, and we had a pickup truck, and uh, some crew people went with me to help me. But uh, we set up the truck, and we, 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 we filmed it. So he took elements of our likes and put them into the scripts. Francois was a singer and loved music, and he took that. He made it. Francois was a singing teacher on the program, music teacher. And and Joe Negri played the guitar, and he loved music, and he had a music store in Brockett's Bakery, and Betty Aberlin had Betty's Little Theater. Uh, And all of the interests of that particular person he used to tell stories and to help uh, with concepts. So uh, I don't know if all of your listeners understand all of this because uh, it's good to have an example of each one of those, but I think, I, I think I'm getting the point across. Sure. Am I not? Yes, you yeah. are, uh, very effectively, uh, okay. too, yeah. Okay. Um, so, what I, you know, one of the things that I really love about what you've done as a person is you've met, you've kind of lived, Mr. McFeel, like you've it's it's not a character for you. It's it's something you've lived. It's you practice what you preach. You know, on occasion you'll you'll go and see kids as dressed as Mr. McFeely. You've really taken and, and you've really taken this character and just made it your own. You've made it you. And I, and I can't speak for how beautiful and how wonderful that is. Well, you're 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 right, and I think Fred saw that too. You know, I've been this character now. And part of it, I, sometimes you can't tell where David Newell begins and Mr. McFilly lets, <laughs> lets off. But, and that's partially, that's partially Fred, too. He would write my interests into the program, but yet I would go out to different public stations. In fact, the man I just mentioned a little while ago who lives in Sweden, where I met him was when he was about eight years old at the Boston Zoo. I was in the Boston Zoo, and he and his family came up to me and told me how much they liked the neighborhood. And by by letters, they stayed in touch. Well, he his family moved to Sweden, so he's now in his maybe late 40s, early 50s, and st- we're still in touch. And he sent me an email saying that he sees Daniel Tiger in Sweden and he sees Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood on Twitch. That, that things like that happen so much. And this past Friday, or Saturday, last Saturday, the people would come up to me who who were now in their 50s and 40s who grew up with it, and their child would be there with their grandchild. And the, all these generations who, and I love talking to the people who, who've grown up with the program. And I like to find out, you know, what they're doing now and where they live and the interest. You know, it takes forever to go through the line, but I just can't rush through it. I want to be able to give each family some, some time. And I like that. I like learning about people and what's, what they do and how the program maybe affected them or something they liked or well, you get you get the idea. Yeah, right? sure. And, and there's a there's a great. I, I watched the clip last night. It was really good of you 
as as you know in your in your awesome you know uh, speedy delivery uh, outfit and you were yeah. you were doing a TED talks and it was such a great it was a 22 minute video I recommend it to anybody who wants you were talking to an audience and it was such a wonderful 20 minutes just to watch you speak and watch people react to you it was really really nice to see Oh yeah I yes I that was a time I remember doing that TED talk and I did a similar one Except it was on Moth Radio. Do you know the Moth Moth Radio show? The I Moth do. Yes. Show or, yep. I did it there, and you can get it. And that was when I first did it. But that's just ra- that's radio, and uh, that is still on there. You can go and, and listen to it on Moth Radio. It's NPR and Moth Radio. So if you ever want to hear it in its original form, when I did it for Ted, I I uh, changed it a little bit, but not much. But that was, I changed it because that was video too. But, uh, and it was my story how I got started uh, with uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. You know, how I got involved in, in the theater and television to begin with, but my grandfather took me to see a play when I was about eight years old. And I think if you want to get children involved in the arts and appreciation, not that they're ever going to be a performer, that's good too, but just to be an appreciator of the arts, you know, uh, museum, art museums, uh, opera, ballet, musical theater, take them to see a good production of something you feel is is uh, appropriate. It's something they would be appropriate for them. Don't take them to something that would, you know, some children can't go to an opera at three years old. Mm. That's just, that, they would be bored. Mm. And we don't, that's the worst thing you can do because you don't want to turn them off to it either. Right. So it's, the, the parents can tell when they're right, but I, I stress taking your your kids to a live performance a symphony uh, when they're when you think they're ready for it you know that's I, one of the best things that's what my grandfather did and i think i i caught that mm. and i and i caught the people on the stage loving what they're doing plus my grandfather loving the play that he took me to the play was harvey i don't know if you've ever heard of it but it was it's about a man who who's it's very whimsical and he he can only see a six foot white rabbit he can see it he talks to it but no one can see the rabbit except elwood that's the guy's name it's been made into a movie um Oh, a long time ago, but it's a funny uh, and whimsical play and movie. If any your listeners have never seen it, they should look it out. But that's when I first saw my first play. Yeah, and, and, and you know, and, you, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, yeah. no. I just hope I'm not rattling on here. No, but no. You, yeah, I, I love what you're saying. You know, <laughs> I, I agree with you. The legacy has definitely lived on, and and I, and I know if 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 Miss if Fred Rogers was still here today, Mister Rogers was here. He'd be so proud of what you and Francois have done for kids and continue to do for people. But I also I, I wonder sometimes too, David, what Fred Rogers, what Mister Rogers would say about issues of bullying and, and those types of issues that kids are dealing with now. And so, there's a part of me that feels like kids need him now more than ever. And I, and I don't mean to be overly dramatic. I do though. I feel no, I like think you're right. Yeah, I, I think they need. I think they need him, or they need his spirit, or they need him, what he was trying to do. They need. They need to see and know what this man was trying to do with his life. 
Yeah, and and more importantly, I think they the parents need to know that so they can search out. You know, it, not every child can find Twitch by themselves. Mm. Uh, and so it's the parents that need to find the neighborhood. It's not as easy as it was when it was on TV, mm. but they need to find it and show show it if they feel it's appropriate. But uh, uh, but you're right. You know, you talked about bullying. I think that's what Fred would deal with now because his bullying has become such a hot topic. And you know, he he felt that he was bullied too when he was growing up. Um, he went through it too, and uh, he, Fred was overweight when he was, uh, you know, in elementary school. And I think he he was made fun of because he was a, a little on the chubby side, and he never forgot that. And he, and I think elements like that, he remembers those those sad days too, and the happy days, and put it all into Mister Rogers' Neighborhood. And that's why going back to what I told you earlier about how to, when the reporter asked him how what qualifies you to be uh, a host and a writer for children, he said being a child, and that's exactly it. You know, you we you, we all have had bad days from our friends and been made fun of from doing something wrong and it's not easy right. I think there's even the most popular kids in school probably have had rough days right. uh, but but it's the kids who who are are different that need programs like the neighborhood everybody needs some element of mr rogers neighborhood if you know there's ways of dealing with being a sibling if you're an only child that's one but if you have brothers and sisters you know sometimes you're you have a, a jealous feelings of your brother or sister you know and that's nothing wrong that's a, a human feeling and, and it's but how, it's learning how to deal with that, and but not feeling guilty about it, but learning how to deal with that or anger. You know, being angry at someone is not necessarily a bad trait. That's a human emotion. But Fred showed ways of children, alternative ways of dealing with your anger. You don't hit somebody. You can work it out and talk it out. That's what I think is important. The the anger is the emotion, but what you do with that emotion is what's important. Yeah, he, and that's what Fred worked with. Yeah, he was very selfless. And somebody asked me, like, who does he remind you of? And the only person I keep thinking about, and maybe I'm being over the top here, he reminds me very much of the selflessness of Mother Teresa, just the way he... <laughs> His life is about other people. It's never been about him. It's never been no, about you, him. No, you're, you're, you're right. He's very self-effacing. He, he, you're right. You know, he, he, uh, you know, he didn't uh, spend five years in India living with lepers, or he didn't do that. What Mother Teresa did. Right. You know, but that was her way. Right. That was her way, Julian. Right. And that was her calling. Fred's calling was taking this medium that is so misused uh, and dealing with it that way. Everybody has their own way of, of helping people, and I think Fred's was through television. That was his way. Uh, and television can... Look look how television and elements of television, how the, how the internet 
has can influence. Look at the internet now; it's on there, and there's so much that's not not very good. No, you're right. <laughs> and and it's but you can only do what you can do. You know, you can't cure the world. But Fred did what he could do with television, and that was a lot. And I think, I think in a way, it's 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 really helped. It's really helped a lot of people. We and our fan mail is what showed us the results, not any research. The fan mail would be so so uh, important to him and how he uh, got ideas from the fan mail and he answered every letter every letter we helped him with so he couldn't sit down and physically write everyone we we would uh, collated and uh, prior prior put it in priority for answering and but every letter that went out he signed. It was his signature, and he read every letter. Wow! So, and that was monumental. I mean, but he took time to do that, and that's why he he uh, we had about four people who helped him with the mail, getting it prioritized. So, some of them ones that would need to have a very thoughtful answer, he could look at first in that way. Um, and the ones who wanted a picture and an autograph were easier to do, and, and that would be in another section. I don't know if I'm explaining this well. No, but you're doing I'm, great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My point being that that was very important. In fact, that was the, the most important element to him. He saw it as an extension of the program, something that they may question, or sometimes even uh, an adult maybe would, would have some issue with a topic or way it was handled, and he wanted to address it all. And... and um, one time, I was telling you about the graduation that he did, the uh, college graduations. One time, there was one in Virginia somewhere, and uh, in, leading up to the graduation day, there was some. Um, there was a complaint that one boy did, one student, a college student did. Why are we having Mister Rogers at our graduation? What can we learn from Mister Rogers? And I thought to myself, boy, you can learn a lot, but. <laughs> um, uh, so, but we continued doing. We, we Fred said, "No, I want to. I'm going to go, and I'd like to have the uh, the school uh, locate that boy. I'd like to meet him afterwards." And it did. It happened. He met him and he talked to him. And I think uh, that was Fred. He he searched him out and wanted to know more about his thoughts. And. Uh, but that's who he was. He, he wasn't gonna. He he could he could just ignore it. Uh, but he didn't. He 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 was curious to where this boy was coming from. What what made him think that he couldn't learn anything from anybody, from that matter? But I think he thought, well, we're college graduates now. What do we know? What does Mister Rogers have to tell us? Well, he, he had. He, there's a lot he could tell. As, as well as any other person, a scientist could tell him, too. I'm just saying that he said it about Fred. Am I making sense to yes, you? Yes, you are, definitely, for sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and, and, and okay. you, yeah, and you know, he, I could see him trying to approach this kid because he's somebody that 
always went after issues, whether it was talking to kids about assassinations or divorce or death. He was never one to shy away from a topic. And, you know, my. my, my and, and, you know, some of the complaints of the program were that it's not the real world. Well, it was the real world. He dealt with things that are very, uh, and it's, uh, how more real world can you get than an, a, a president being assassinated? Or, uh, you know, he, we, Martin Luther King and uh, Kennedy and the Pope, all of those assassinations were, going, were within a 15-year period. And he, after... Uh, Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. He did a program overnight with the help of Margaret McFarlane, his mentor, to put a program together talking about the word assassination and the anger that this person must have felt. Uh, and it's hard to explain the whole thing now, but it, mm. it is available. You can see it on, on um, it's online somewhere. But he dealt with topics like that, uh, assassination, divorce, superheroes, scary things, angry feelings, all of that that's, uh, and he had, a, he had a, a saying, anything that's mentionable is manageable. Which is interesting. If you know, if you can mention something, you can manage it. You can learn, it may not be, make you have instant relief by any means. But start managing it. Learn how to manage it and, and talk about things. He thought conversation and talking about your feelings was so healthy for young kids. Don't, don't keep it inside, but talk about what you might be feeling. Uh, people can handle it. And, you know, don't keep your anger pent up. If you're mad, tell somebody. But it's also good to talk about what made you mad. That is the concept that he would use. And that's healthy when you come to think of it. It's a good lesson for anybody. Yep. Yeah, you know, David, young children. Yeah, you've given me almost an hour of your time. It's flown by. I have two last questions, if you don't mind answering. Okay. 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 One of them is, I thought I read this, and if I didn't, I'm going to be very embarrassed. I thought it was either your children or somebody on the staff, one of the cast members' children, was mortified. were mortified from the Incredible Hulk and Lou Ferrigno. <sighs> And Bill, oh, yes. Bix, Bill Bixby invited one of you on set to to, to show the, the little girl who was scared one of, one of your children how it was just makeup and uh, you know and so forth. Talk oh, about that. You're all. Oh, you're absolutely right. Our daughter, who was three years old at the time, saw inadvertently the Incredible Hulk. It was on. It was bedtime, and she didn't want to go to bed. She was sitting in the living room, and she turned on the TV, and just by chance, the Incredible Hulk came on. Well, she was she was scared, but she was enthralled at the same time. <laughs> started to cry, uh, and I told Fred about it, and I said, you know, it's not appropriate, but but scary things like that. Uh, uh, for instance, Superman, uh, I read where uh, children tied a towel around their their necks and thought they could fly and hurt themselves. In some cases, were killed by jumping off a roof, thinking they could fly. And I said, maybe this is something we can deal with on the program. So we located uh, uh, Bill Bixby. He was directing the sequence we, uh, of The Incredible Hulk, the Universal Studios. We went there, and we both were on screen, and we filmed one of their uh, oh, segments. 
and we showed Lou Frigno, who's a was a big man. He was a, he was a, a, a weightlifter, but as an actor too. And he showed him getting into his makeup, you know, demystifying it. He was started as he was, and we showed step by step of him getting in the green makeup and the and the contact lenses and the green wig and all of that, and demystified it for children. And we had Margaret Hamilton on the program, uh, The Wicked Witch of the West. And a lot of people say, oh, how frightened they were when they were growing up with the witch, the witch and the flying monkeys. <laughs> and I said, Fred, well, you know, maybe we can we can invite Margaret Hamilton, the actress on the program. And he said, well, if you can find her, I'll write the script. And I found her and we did a, a wonderful segment of her talking about her role as the Wicked Witch. He says, see, I'm my, I'm an actress, and I pretend. That was all pretend. Wow. And more people wrote in to say how that helped their families. Something simple like talking about it and demystifying it, rather than say, don't be scared. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. But showing the step, deliberately showing uh, the process of Lou Frigno getting into his makeup or Margaret Hamilton trying on her... Uh, trying on the witch's costume, not the same one, but the one that looked like it, it is, is, is innovative in a way, you know, breaking it down. And that came from Fred's background in child development. You know, he knew that uh, a young child doesn't separate that fantasy and, and, and reality. And that's where the, the, the Hulk falls into. They see it as something real. And it's it's not it's pretend. Mm. So so we did go and and we got a lot of letters saying that's a that was a wonderful way to demystify the scary parts of that program. Yeah. We weren't saying it was wrong. We no. we weren't saying anything was wrong with either film. Right. We were saying here's how you interpret it for young kids. Sure, sure. And and, and I, I'm almost embarrassed to admit what I'm about to tell you. I was one of those kids that put uh, um, a tablecloth around his neck. We were on at the time we lived in a we lived in a three story building. I was literally, and my mother can back this up. I was literally seconds away from jumping off a three story building, and the babysitter, like a, a scene right out of a movie, swooped in and 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 caught me before I jumped, and I was I was just about to jump. So yeah, oh. I, I can back what oh. you're saying up. Kids have a tough time separating reality from. You know, from from fiction, and we wouldn't have been talking today had you jumped. No, we think. would not have been. You know, so you know, and isn't that something that I would bring that one up too? Because I read that. You know, you would. I would read the paper every so often and see those little those events, just like you explained. And I said, "This is pretty serious," you mm -hmm. know. And it's and it certainly wasn't your fault by any means, mm. uh, but. Um, Boy, thank goodness for the babysitter. Thank God. But, yes, my but, mother brings it up. That all. is exactly what we were dealing with, and you and you might not think that's important. You might say, "Oh, well, who would do that?" Well, a three or four year old might do that, thinking sure. they'd fly down to the ground and land safely. Sure, sure. But that's that's what Fred dealt with. Things like that, as well as sibling rivalry, as well as emotions. Things that children deal with that, that maybe some of us forget about. But children are going through that. And you wouldn't know that if you didn't study child development. You know, if you didn't get into what makes a young child think and think, do what they do, 
you have to study that development of a, of a human being. Mm. You know, they learn to read everybody. Whether you're in Boston, Pittsburgh, California, England, Sweden, or New Zealand, or in the middle of a, a desert, anywhere, that child in that country and that language learns to speak that language about the same time, whether you're speaking English or Swedish or Spanish, whatever, you learn it about the same time. And that's called developmental, developmental uh, psychology. It, it's, you grow at a certain pace. And a 10-year-old is so much different than a three-year-old and what you program for them are so much different. A 10-year-old understands, if you were 10, you wouldn't have put that towel around your neck and tried to, you probably would have known better. Right, right. But if three or four, however old you were, you you might have. Right. That's what Fred was trying to get across with the program. I'm rattling on here, but no, I... No, no, not at all. My last question, my last question to you is, and this, this has literally flown by, um... So a lot of the, the big topic you and I have been talking about in a lot of today's discussion has been legacy. And I've told you how much Mr. McFeely has meant to me and millions of kids that grew up to be adults. You know, speaking of legacy, what's what do you want to be the legacy of Mr. McFeely? How do you want people to remember? You know, we all have a legacy, whether, whether you were on Mr. Rogers' yeah. neighborhood or not. We all have a legacy. What do you want Mr. McFeely's legacy to be? Boy, that that I've never really had that question, but I, I, I hope they'll remember me as an integral part of helping Fred Rogers produce the program and getting the word out to people who have young children, so they would watch the program. How important the message was. I hope they see me as a big factor in in the production and the uh, legacy of that of that program and all also as being someone that uh, they they enjoyed as a child and and the curiosity that uh, I had I think is McFeely and and bringing different elements to show Fred different products different uh, films and uh, my uh, just love what I was doing I hope that comes through that they can see how much I love being part of this legacy this program Mr. Rogers Neighborhood I hope that comes through I hope that's that's what I hope they remember about me um, that I love what I was doing his name is David Newell. He is everyone's favorite delivery man. He's been our favorite delivery man for over 50 years as Mr. McFeely. David, I cannot thank you enough from the bottom of my heart for coming on the show today. Well, thank you. But, oh, the time has gone so by so speedily, so to speak. <laughs> and uh, I'm just saying hello to uh, your your listeners and together. Now, let's all count to three and we'll both say speedy delivery and that'll... That'll end the program, okay? Okay. Okay, here we go. I'll count to three, yep. and we'll both say it. One, two, three. Speedy, Speedy delivery. delivery. Very well done. <laughs> 
television program for children made its unauspicious debut on station WQED in Pittsburgh. Its host, Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers? Yes. I want to tell you something. What would you like to tell I like you. I like you, my dear. Thank you very much for telling me that. He take all of the elements that make good television and do the exact opposite. You have Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Low production values, simple set, unlikely star. Yet, it worked. Hello. I've always felt that I didn't need to put on a funny hat or jump through the hoop to have a relationship with a child. He was always trying to get a message across in every show. A week on death. What does assassination mean? On divorce. Some people get married and after a while they're so unhappy that they don't want to be married anymore. He was radical. I know everyone says that, but he was radical. They didn't want black people to come and swim in their swimming pools. My being on the program was a statement for Fred. A neighborhood was a place where, at times, that you felt worried, scared, unsafe, would take care of you. He had a singular vision of kindness and love. Love is at the root of everything. All learning, all relationships, love or the lack of it. Children have very deep feelings, just the way everybody does. There must be times when you do feel blue. I'm not feeling blue right now, though. Me neither. <laughs> Won't you be my neighbor? Well, I suppose it's an invitation. It's an invitation for somebody to be close to you. The greatest thing that we can do is to help somebody know that they're loved and capable of loving. Won't you please, won't you please, please won't you be my neighbor?